everybody. My name is Drew Baker. Welcome to the Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, brewers, chefs, farmers, and other cool guests at my kitchen table. We tell stories and talk about our lives and interests. And we'll even touch on issues that are way bigger than food and wine. Nothing added, nothing taken out. Uh, on today's episode, I interview Scott Janish, brewer, beer blogger, author of the new IPA, a scientific guide to hop aroma and flavor, uh, and co-founder of Sapwood Cellars in Columbia, Maryland. Sapwood Cellars is duly focused on barrel-aged mixed fermented beers and fresh hoppy ales. All right, table is set. Scott Janish in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Awesome. Thank you for thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, cool. How are you? What's new? Uh, doing pretty good. I'm just like yourself, probably just trying to figure out how to uh, navigate the, the current situation. It's kind of slightly going a little bit back to normal, but um, that's that's kind of been what's new every day for the, for the past, you know, three months or so. I'm sure you can relate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Learning a lot about ourselves, uh, our society, our businesses, um, you know, how it all works together. And, uh, you know, both, I think, you know, in business, uh, personally, and, you know, sort of big picture, um, you know, always trying to like, listen and learn and you know, discover new ways to, um, you know, frankly, to, to, to be better moving forward than we were before. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And we're sort of chatting off before you hit, hit record here, but, um, you know, this, it's forced us to do some things that we've always kind of wanted to do, but it's just like, uh, putting, putting beer into cans, you know, it's something that we, we weren't really doing much of. It was kind of all focused on the, the tasting room. Um, but it turns out people really, really like beer in cans. Um, and so, and, and, and wine in cans in your case. Right. Um, and so it kind of forced us in in that direction a little bit, and so that's that's been a you know a pretty a pretty good thing in, in a lot of ways for us. But um, it's definitely definitely interesting to uh, we just opened up last uh, our tasting room up last week, uh, half capacity tables, you know, far apart. Everyone's wearing the mask. It's it's, it's a little goofy. Um, I mean, it's 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 great to be open, but it, it's it's just it's a completely different um, experience. But I think that's just um, how it's going to be for a while. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that is, to your point, the new reality for a bit. Um, you know, something that has been refreshing to me, though, is as, you know, um, businesses navigate, you know, the, the, the new normal, um, consumers do uh, and are forced to evolve as well. And um, I think it has been really refreshing to see how uh, consumers have, you know, quickly made themselves comfortable or become comfortable with um, service formats that would have yeah. been so distasteful or off-putting even just six months ago. And, um, you know, I think that it's, I think that long-term, my hope is that this really kind of opens, um, you know, folks' minds experientially to, to, you know, to new formats and new experiences. Whereas in the past, it, it was pretty narrow, whether it, it was a brewery, tasting room or a winery tasting room or a restaurant experience like there was definitely you know there are folks out there that are always pushing boundaries and exercising the, their creative muscles but it's a pretty narrow to my observation you know band of of sort of acceptable experiences and anything outside of that is just like inconvenient or weird so yeah. it's kind of cool to see how how consumers are evolving as well yeah it, it's also been um it, it's been cool to see how much consumers are your um, are some of your biggest fans and want you to succeed and and go out of their way to try to help you when you know when things like this um, happen? I mean, we I, I've been amazed at how many um, you know people are just buying you know crowd. We do a lot of hand crowlers, right? So it's just like a a crowler is like a mini. Um, it's like a growler, but it's just in a can, right? So you just fill it up. It's it's um, usually good for like two or three days, you should really drink them pretty fresh. But we just started doing that by hand just to like, we're hoping people are going to want to buy them to, to take them, you know, to go. But it's just one of those things that though, you know, a lot of our uh, uh, regulars and club members were um, more than happy to buy. And um, it's been awesome to see them just leaving, you know, generous tips and stuff too, for the people that are, you know, lost all the regular hours in the, in the tasting room. Um, 
Um, so it's been cool to see everyone in the community kind of uh, rally around certain businesses and, and um, do what they can in, in the com- with the comfort level that they have. Um, and so it's, so like you said, it's, it's changed the experience a lot, um, but it's also made, made us realize you know, how lucky we are to have um, you know, such, uh, be in a community that's, that's very supportive. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned uh, cans are new for you. Uh, you mentioned that um, you, you you have a club. Uh, obviously, previously you relied uh, heavily on bottles, more traditional formats. Your service and approach sounds a lot more akin to a winery than a modern brewery. Yeah, that is uh, it, that is true. I think in a lot of ways, uh, we're stealing for people like you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, we, you know, we've long, uh, my business partner, uh, Michael Tomsmeyer, um, also an author himself, he wrote uh, American um, Sour Beers. Um, we've, we're, we've been really influenced by a lot of the um, breweries in Europe. Um, and a lot of these breweries, you, you go to, um, you, you sit at a table, you buy a bottle and you share it with, you know, you, the idea is you want to try, you know, three different beers, but you have to buy them in bottles. And so you're just, you're opening beer, you're sharing it with complete strangers that are visiting the brewery from, you know, a different part of the world. Um, that's just something we've kind of just always thought was pretty awesome. I mean, it's just like this more of a community vibe and, and more of a, um, you know, people are, you know, it's not just load up, let's take everything we can and get out of here. It's more of a, let's hang out for three hours. Let's tell some stories with strangers and meet people. Um, and so that's kind of the approach we, we, we tried to take uh, a little bit. But um, yeah, most of our wine barrel age stuff, uh, wine, uh, mostly wine barrels, um, are um, all packaged in bottles. And then we usually, you know, we'll, we'll steal another one from a wine playbook. We'll sit on bottles for three, three years, you know, or more too, just to um, have vintages. And, um, but um, that's a slow process. Uh, each one of our sour beers is about... Um, about a year old before it, it actually is, is sold. Um, so that was when we opened up, everyone's like, I thought you guys were going to be in a sour brewery. Like what's going on? It's like, Hey, this takes, this takes some time. So um, we're about two years in now. I'm getting close to two years. And so that's um, the sour program is really fun now. Cause now we're, we have a bunch of barrels to, to play with. Um, everything is always blended. Um, usually, you know, two or three different barrels. Um, now it's like fruit season. Uh, Mike's going tomorrow to pick up, uh, you know, 300 pounds of cherries to go on a, on a wine barrel aged sour beer. And so it's, it's, uh, it's fun when you, when things start progressing, like you, like you plan, but with a lot of those beers, you can't, they're so unpredictable. Um, but it's, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the romance of, of sour beers. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, so much was there and I have lots of questions for you. Um, you mentioned you're an author, your business partner, Mike is an author. Um, you guys teamed up and started this brewery, but you have backgrounds in home brewing and blogging and doing all like, you've just kind of like really been in the deep end of the beer world for a long time. Mm-hmm. So let's, um, let's rewind the tape a little bit. Um, sure. I want to hear more about Sapwood in 2020 for sure. And beyond, you know, what, what, you know, what sort of things you're looking forward to in the future. But for those that are listening, people that don't know you, um, would love to kind of hear your, you know, kind of origin story, how you got into beer, like, you know, t- take us as far back as you're comfortable going, <laughs> sure. you know, give us the cliff notes. Um, so that anybody listening to this kind of can get a feel for, for who you are and what you're about. Yeah, absolutely. I have, um, I, so I, I'm actually originally from South Dakota. Um, so I, I, I moved out here to work um, in politics right after college. And so most of my professional career has been in um, lobbying. I spent about 13 years trying to convince Republicans to pass uh, financial protections, which is not an easy job. <laughs> um, and so my beer was really something that came along for me um, uh, it was more of a, um, so like I never bought super fancy beers, surprisingly. Like I would just, you know, I was just doing like the yingling thing forever. Um, cause in South Dakota, if you had yingling, that was like, that was it. That's fancy you know? beer, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it just slowly started progressing. I think when, when more, um, hoppy beers started coming out, the West coast IPAs became a big thing. Um, those are just, you know, you know, 
hoppy beers that are a little, you know, they're not like the hazy ones that, that everyone's doing now. The sort of like classic Sierra Nevadas. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that, that's kind of when I think I started paying a little more attention, like wow, beer is more than just, you know, light beer. And then um, I was gifted a, uh, a, ho- a home brewing kit, which is like, I think, how, I don't know how, how many breweries are started today because of a, a home brewing kit. I bet is probably unbelievable. Most of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I tried it once and the beer was terrible. It was, it was, it, I specifically remember it tasting like soap. Um, and, and because it was so bad, I think that was the reason I got so into it and hooked. Cause I was like, you know, if that first beer was really good, I'd be like, oh, this is easy. And like move on to something else. Um, but then I just, I kept, kept brewing, kept getting more into it, um, kept reading more online and just kind of became obsessed in a way. Um, and then in, eventually started uh, um, blogging, which was at the beginning was just kind of like my recipes and results. You know, I didn't really have a goal or plan for it. Um, and if than- you really want to learn something and, and retain that information, it's important to be able to sort of regurgitate it or, or teach somebody else. Like you, that's really, I think, a, a, you know, a defining characteristic of, of subject matter expertise, right? So like you wanted to become an expert on these things and yeah. so blogging, it sounds like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, was almost like an exercise for like really solidifying the information that you were taking in. The hundred percent. Yeah. Um, when I'm, you know, whether they say like the more words you try to use to explain something, you probably don't really know what you're, what you're talking about. Right. And so you notice that when I, when I'm writing some of these blog posts, now I've moved on to like a lot more academic paper research type blog posts and then using a lot of uh, um, online journals and, and whatnot to inspire new recipes or new ideas and then write about it. But when you, when you're trying to summarize an academic paper, like that is just like you said, I'm like, I have to understand this because I don't want to get it wrong either. I don't want to put it. You know, You're going on the record. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> put anyone the wrong, get put in the wrong direction. Exactly. Um, and so for me, it was just, it was a slow growth for beer. Um, one just from the holy, like, wow, I can make this at home kind of thing. Like that's kind of neat to, um, you know, making 300 gallons at a time now, but it was a very slow, um, slow step. And, um, in a lot of ways, I think starting the blog was, was the, you know, probably the best first step I did just to, to, to be where I'm at now to, to, um, meeting Mike, cause he was another blogger to writing the book. So um, is that so, how you and Mike, yeah. Tell, tell us about that. How'd you meet Mike? Yeah. So we were both in, uh, DC homebrewers. So that's just a, a group in, in DC that gets together. Um, I think it's once, once a month now. And you, you bring beers that you, that you brewed and everyone kind of tastes them and you talk about them and you talk about the recipe. And, um, and so it was cool for me because, um, Mike at the time was, um, he of course doesn't blog as much now cause he's got other priorities. <laughs> um, but he, he's, he's kind of been the, the blogger, right? He's kind of been the, the beer writer for a long time. So it was cool for me to be able to, to go and meet him at, at this um, early on because, when you first met Mike you looked up to him oh absolutely yeah I think a lot of most people in the beer world um, I, I would would suspect most brewers um, have stumbled across his his website uh, a number of times just kind of trying to whether they're searching recipes or what website or, is that for anybody listening who's curious his is uh, the madfermentationist.com okay it's pretty um, cool name yeah and so he's been I think he's been blogging for over 10 years and um, and so I got to, I met him through, through that and we just, uh, be, became friends and, and started, you know, having other, uh, we'd get together with other, uh, beer, beer friends and have like tastings and, and stuff like that. Um, and in fact, when I, I went over to his place, um, probably about what, four or five years ago now, um, just to get his experience on writing a book. Cause I was thinking about doing it. Um, and that's kind of, that's that night is when we started seriously talking about, well, maybe we should just, you know open a brewery, <laughs> you know, it, it was something I had been thinking about for a while at that point, but I just uh, kind of realized like I couldn't do that on my own and I couldn't think of a better person to, to want to do it with. So, um, so that's kind of how we got to know each other and kind of how the, the brewery talks uh, started too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So basically like you teamed up with someone that you long admired. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, <laughs> and you know, um, so, so that's pretty cool. Like, to my mind, um, you know, I've all like I think so much of what we do, right? 
creativity in a sense or the creation of or birthing of a new idea, you know, it, 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 it's almost always taking and emulating something that you've seen someone else do previously mm -hmm. and you've really loved some aspect of it and then making it your own, right? Like it's not necessarily, you know, a, a direct copy is, you know, plagiarism, not yeah. cool, but like, yeah. <laughs> but to take inspiration, to give props and then to kind of like run with it in your own and, and put your own spin on something. Like, I feel like that is like, you know, almost like the highest form of praise, right? To like someone who has really inspired you and like, you know, how cool is it that you had the opportunity to like, not only connect with someone that you long admire, but like actually become business partners with them? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's funny to think that, that, you know, when we first met, we had no idea that, you know, something like that would happen. But I think, you know, just like you said, if you know, you're not, you're never really stealing someone's idea, you're just kind of building off of it. And, and the two of us, you know, have years and years of, of recipes online now that we will still Google our own old recipes to see what we thought of, of beers. Um, you know, to, if we have an idea we think is going to be great or, or at this point you've brewed so many beers that you're you like, can't I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go back and read my own notes on it's this a, subject. And that's honestly, having those blogs has been invaluable to us for that, for that very reason. Um, a lot of our, uh, beers are at least like the, the grain recipes are, you know, ones that we've done in the past, um, at home for, for years. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we definitely, uh, rely on our own, uh, our, our own past blogging to, uh, to, to make beer today, which is kind of goofy, but yeah, it, it works. No, I get it. So, like, similarly, I, I, I went through a phase, uh, some years ago where I was blogging a lot as well, um, always through the wineries. So like built up, you know, quite a, uh, a few entries on the old Westminster winery blog. And, um, you know, really for about two years, I would, I was like a once a week, every other week kind of, uh, blogger. And uh, it, it was a, you know, um, I suspect much less academic than what you were doing. It was more like, here's a thought I have on, you know, fill in the blank, blank subject related to farming, winemaking, you know, running a business, anything. Um, but for me, it was an exercise of synthesizing a thought that I had or, or an experience that I was kind of in the middle of that, that I thought that others might find interest in. And also was an exercise that helped me to like really like think through the entirety of a particular situation mm -hmm. or experience and solidify that understanding for myself and be able to sort of lean on that information at a later time. Because yeah. otherwise it's kind of like, you know, it's in your mind for a moment and then you get- And then it's gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And, and the other thing that, that blogging has really kind of pushed me towards is- um, continually pushing the envelope on certain ideas and processes and techniques, um, knowing that I wanted to write, let's say a recipe or a, write a blog post this month on whatever um, it would, it, I would go out and read a bunch of papers. It, it would like force me to learn. And then it forced me to try to implement some things I was learning and then writing down everything you learned. Like, just like you said earlier, you're, you're like, it's really getting in there now. Um, and then it's, it's, it's also cool because there's so many people that, that read it and comment and give you ideas and, um, you know, can, can, uh, you know, add their voice to, to whatever the topic is. And, and then you learn even more that way too. So it's, it's, it's a good, it, for, for me, blogging has been a great, uh, great thing to just keep on steadily, um, trying to improve, trying to come up with new ideas. It almost like forces you to be creative in a way. Yeah. So how helpful, I, I agree completely. How helpful were your years of blogging when you set out to write your first book? Uh, it was a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, in <laughs> fact, some of the blog posts kind of are in there. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, yeah. can you, I, you, I can almost imagine that some of your better blog posts along the way that like later you look back on and you're like, you know what, that was pretty insightful. What I did. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I connected some dots that were actually like, you know, um, uh, uh, just like, you know, really, really kind of helpful to everyone who read it. And yeah. like, that's a chapter in a book. I'm going to, I definitely did that. And there you go. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, the book was like, uh, you know, it was a two year, two-year project that I, I kind of really had like ups and downs on, man. It was like, 
I, I would go through through periods where I was like, no, no one's gonna read this. Like this is stupid. And then I'd like go back and like read some of the stuff I wrote like six months ago. And I was just like, that's really like no one knows that. That's that's I think a lot of people are gonna really dig that. And then like two days later, I'm just like, this like no one's gonna read this book, you know. Um but so I actually uh, ended up uh, self-publishing the book. I went to uh, uh, Brewers Publications, and at the time, um, we're talking to them. They do most of the, the, the beer books, um, and they um, were interested and then ultimately decided, no, you know, they already had a book on hops. Um, and at that point, it was kind of a big blow, but I had already done so much of it that I was just like, well, you know, I could just self-publish this. And so I started looking into that route and reached out to um, – Brian Roth, who is a, a beer writer I really respect and does a lot of, uh, he does good beer hunting podcasts too. Um, and I'm like, hey, would you, can I pay you to be my editor? And then I had wrote a blog post that said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this, write this book. And then other homebrewers reached out and said, hey, I have, uh, I have experience, um, you know, doing book covers. And another one's like, hey, I have, I have experience, you know, getting copyrights and and so like people just started helping me that I didn't know, which was awesome and, um, and, and encouraging. And that's the kind of stuff you need when you're doing a big project like that. Cause otherwise it can get, seem kind of daunting. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you know, um, I have never written a book and <laughs> I think that, uh, or I, I imagine that, um, you know, perhaps some folks will be listening to this podcast who have never written a book. And, uh, you know, I think that it's, it, it's kind of cool to not only find like the intersections between like beer and wine and tell human stories. But like this book is, um, you know, I, I would imagine it's something that is, uh, you know, it's pretty monumental for you, right? Like, I mean, this is yeah. like, uh, you know, a, a really big undertaking. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about like the process, like um, your inspiration when you really knew you were going to do it and then, and then sort of what your process looked like. Yeah, it, it was kind of monumental for me, and it's. I'm still. I'm still proud of the fact that that I, you know, it, it did it because even when you're even when you're writing it, you still kind of like think it might not ever happen. You know, it's like just one of those things. But I, you know, there was one. There was one day where I was really kind of putting down on paper all the different blog post ideas I had, um, and they are all kind of focused around hazy, hoppy beer. Um, and then I started doing research in those areas and just kept finding more and more um, uh, papers and studies that were done um, that you could start to tie pieces of it all together. Um, and, and no one had really done that at that point. Um, in fact, most of the, the beer literature that I, I see out there have like read counts and, you know, there's like 100, 200, 300 people read a lot of these studies, which, which is amazing to me when there's, you know, 8,000 breweries or whatever. Um, and so right. there's like this amazing bit of research that you stumbled upon and you can look and see that only 200 people have read this. Yeah. And to me, that was, that was crazy. A thousand breweries <laughs> yeah. and 200 humans have read this. Yeah. It, and, and then even more, you know, there's, I don't know how many homebrewers there are, but there's a lot of homebrewers too. Um, and so that's when I realized there was so much out there that I think I can fill up a book. And that's kind of when it, it started. Um, and so then I started, you know, piecing it out and then, um, it, it really just became a process where I would, you know, every, every weekend I would sit down for, you know, go to a coffee shop or something with a handful of papers and read through them. And if I got excited about the research, I got excited about what it was saying or the potential of something. Um, then I generally thought, well, probably other brewers would too. And then that would be a paper I would summarize and just kind of put out there, right right and put it in the cloud. And then I just kept doing that for, for years. And it was hundreds and hundreds of papers later. Um, I, I could start to piece them together in ways that like, you know, this paper saying this, another one saying this about, you know, other hop compounds. And if you, you know, put them together at the same time, you know, through synergy, you know, you have bigger explosion of flavors or, you know, that's just kind of a dumb example, but that's what I started to, to try to do. And, um, and so it was, it was a long, long, long process, but um, it, it was one with, with, a, with a big payoff. I like to, my, my biggest brag on this book is um, when, it, when it came out, uh, the day it came out, I was, uh, for a few hours only, I was number one on Amazon's like mover and shakers list, like above, you know, it was like an Oprah book in there. And I'm like, I'm screenshotting that and sending that to my mom. <laughs> that was awesome. That's you know, like it. 
Yeah. I mean, so for, for, you know, not getting a book deal and spending that much time on it and, and self publishing it and learning how to do all that and then getting support like that from, from the home brewers and, and pro brewers from day one. Um, it, it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. super cool. So, uh, you're, you're selling books at this point, huh? Yeah. Well, like I said, that was, I was number one for like a couple hours and then I'm, I dropped down to, I don't know where I'm at now, the like, very bottom of Amazon, but uh, right. cause I went from zero sales to some sales. Right. So um, right. Yeah, it's, cool. it, it's exciting. Cause it, I actually just signed a deal last week that it's going to be translated into, or it's being translated right now into Spanish and, um, and Portuguese. And so, you know, if, if things go a little bit back to normal, I'll be able to do some like book tour stuff in other countries. And that's just, yeah, heard of to me like you've it, always wanted to do is that is that like i mean traveling is it's always up there for me i think that experiences you know real world experiences and travel is is you know had a big impact on on uh you know just like our like i said just kind of copying the european design in some ways on how we approach our brewery i mean if you're not out there traveling experiencing stuff it it's hard to be creative in a lot of ways yeah um, and so when I get to travel now to, to give talks on, on beer or whatever, it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's a huge perk that I just never fathomed, you know, five years ago. So it's, um, it, it's all, it's all been a pretty cool ride. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you could go on a book tour anywhere, where would you go? Oh man. Let's see. So I was, I was really bummed because I was, I would love to go to New Zealand, all around New Zealand. Um, they have amazing hops there. They grow some amazing hops and the scenery is amazing. And every time I hear someone from there talking, I'm like, they always sound like you're in a good mood. Like what, what's going on? Um, so New Zealand would be, would be up there on, on my list. Um, but honestly, like I just, anywhere that's like, traveling for beer is, is so unique right now because it's amazing to me how much a lot of the other countries are trying to do kind of just exactly what we're doing in, in America. Um, but then when, when I go to other countries, like I'm so interested, like when I was, if you're in Brazil, you like for inspiration from them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like Brazil has like amazing woods and exotic fruits. And I'm, when I was there, it's like, I, I want to put this in a beer. I want to put this in a beer we just can't get those fruits and they're there just want to learn how to make a, a hazy IPA. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how that, how that works, but um, yeah, I, I would love to, get, to wander around New Zealand. That's for sure. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I don't bring this up to brag. Uh, but <laughs> actually the first harvest that I worked away, uh, away was in New Zealand. So, nice. uh, so is it, is it, is it worth the trip? It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a cool place. So in 2011, um, I worked a harvest. So Southern hemisphere opposite season. So I was mm. there from, uh, end of February through, uh, Memorial day weekend. And uh, it was just a cool couple of months. I was in uh, staying in Hawks Bay, which is at the south end of the North Island. Okay. And uh, just, yeah, just like, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with, you know, uh, Kiwis. Uh, they're just like really like fun, loving, kind people. <laughs> and something that was like really refreshing to me was that like culturally in New Zealand, there is a strong affinity for American culture. So like whether it, you know, I, I can only assume that so much of it is driven by like Netflix and Hollywood <laughs> like consumption, yeah, cons consumption of content. Um, but like, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but like my experiences in Europe, et cetera, like, you know, being American is less cool. But like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, you're from America. Like, I want to talk to you. You're from Baltimore. Like, have you, or is that like the wire? <laughs> you, know? um, you just, you almost feel famous for, for no reason yeah, at all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So it, it's cool. And that's a lot of, uh, is it uh, a lot of white wine grapes from New Zealand, right? For sure. Yep. Yeah. A lot of the. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, for sure. Yeah. A lot of the um, academic papers point towards there's a lot, there's a nice conversion of like hops and wine. So there's a lot of interesting, um, like a lot of the same compounds that are found in, in wine grapes, whether they're thiols, uh, 
are, are the same ones that are found in hops and are the same ones that are contributing most to the flavor. And so a lot of the, the research comes from um, um, New Zealand and white wine grapes, for, um, especially, which is also another selfish reason why I, I want to go, yeah. go check it out. So that's, that's cool. I think you hit on something there. Um, something that, you know, to my mind has long captivated me. And I think in a sense, humans for millennia is that like grapes when fermented the acids esters compounds transform in such a way that they take on a life of their own and and you know for example um you know just to oversimplify a you know a complex fermentation process you know if you ferment strawberries for example it, it smells of strawberries every single time. But when you <laughs> ferment grapes, they take on um, characteristics that uh, you know seem impossible. And uh, I think it's cool that um, you know. I, I think I, I don't know that I ever really considered this because I think for a long time I've said something to the effect that when you ferment grapes, they they carry a sense of place unlike any other product in the world. Um, however. I think that like hops to your point are quite similar in yeah. that um, different varieties grown in different places, they don't just smell of the particular plant. When dry hopped into a process, um, you can take on these tropical fruit characters, for example, that in, you know, at face value are totally unrelated to the particular plant that you see out in the field. And, uh, you know, like what a cool transformation that, you know, that the brewer or winemaker gets to, gets to sort of take, you know, this journey from a raw agricultural commodity, you know, into this value added product that shares, you know, an experience full of pleasure and time and place with a person that like, you know, has it doesn't really even understand what they're walking into, but like yeah. that look on their face, it's just yeah. like you know, it, it it it's amazing. If you really dissect, uh, and, and this is I think true for for wine and and beer and even other uh, drinks like coffee, if you start dissecting the amount of people that were involved in that final that final product and. Um, the amount of, of passion that everyone has for their for their products is it's unbelievable. I mean, like the the farmer growing the grain to the person that's uh, malting the grain to you know a, a farmer in a hop farmer in you know let's just keep using New Zealand that um, and then he gets it pelletized there and then someone else ships it to to the U.S. and then you know there's just so many uh, layers involved in, in a lot of this stuff and it's um, it it takes everyone has to do their job pretty perfectly to have a perfect product, you know, for sure. Yes. So that's kind of cool. And I've never actually thought of, of wine that like that. I I love your strawberry example. Um, because that's, that's hundred, that's hundred percent accurate. And and I, I've become a little obsessed lately of trying to make, in fact, the, the beer I'm drinking right now has, uh, Cabernet grapes in it. So it's a barrel aged, um, I actually still have a homebrew barrel at my, in my place. And so once a year I empty it. Um, and I brought back, um, souring in, in, uh, sour beer at the, the, you intentionally put bacteria in the barrel and that's what, uh, sours it. And on a trip to, um, Europe, I, I took a sanitized vial in every bottle that I really, really liked. I took the, the yeast and bacteria that was still in the, um, the bottle and I put it in a vial to fly back with, and I use that to inoculate my barrel. And so awesome. it's, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. And then, you know, it's, it's like 15 gallons is all, but then after every year I take 15 out and put five on like um, cherries, five gallons on wine grapes and, um, and even doing combinations with wine grapes, um, and, um, um, hops is, is, is a fun thing to do too. It's just, um, there, there's so many comparisons and, and it's, it's fun to, there's so much you can learn from people making another product. Like you can, you can apply like wine techniques to, you know, beer in the same that I think winemakers could probably learn some, some tricks from, from brewers. Um, and so that's like, we've done a, we've done, uh, we're doing a collab right now. Um, and that, you know, we have your wine barrels and, and with some of your natural, you know, yeast from from maryland just sitting in a barrel with beer for a year which is which is kind of cool and it's coming along it's coming along nicely too so we're gonna have to i think the plan is to pick a 
a whole bunch of wine berries pretty soon for that thing. I love it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and like, this is the second iteration. We've done collabs in the past and I've tasted them and, uh, you know, they've been really, um, uh, I say this uh, with like, uh, you know, as a, as a compliment that it, you know, it, 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 uh, the beers exceeded my expectation. <laughs> Good. Um, I appreciate which, which it. I think is, is a refreshing thing. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, you don't, you don't really know what to expect. It's like, you know, Hey, here's some barrels, here's some pumice here, you know, and it's kind of yeah. like, I hope this works out, you know, like, if, <laughs> yeah. you know, 50, 50, we'll see. Right. You know, um, but it, 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 it's, it's always, um, you know, refreshing and encouraging when you taste the product and you're just like, wow, this is like really good. <laughs> I, I thank you for saying that. That's, that's nice. I mean, that, that first collab we did was, was one that we had to just keep, um, calling audibles with. I mean, that's, when you're when you're dealing with barrels and bacteria and, um, things for like, we've never used pumice before. Um, and after like six months of sitting on the pumice, like it just didn't, it, it was interesting, but it wasn't enough. If yeah, that makes you, sense. For sure. You have to stay flexible. Like you can't rush these processes. That's yeah. And you, and you can't have like a solid plan. Like this beer is going to get this and that's, that's it. It's like, you kind of have to taste it because a lot of these beers um, develop into whatever they're going to develop into. And then if you, um, you know, in that case, we ended up putting some cab front grapes on, I believe, um, just to kind of, it, it gave it a cool color. It just, it played up the the wine a little bit. Um, it went with the barrel a little better too, since it was, you know, that was in a wine barrel. Um, but we just, that we had no plans to do that when we, when we put that together, that was just one of those things where you just have to taste, taste it, uh, during the process and then be honest with yourself. It's sometimes it's too easy to go the easy way out and go, yep, it's good. Let's package it. Move right. On. Yeah. Nobody will buy it. Right. Yeah. No, but that's just not, it's not what it's all about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sure. Um, so I, so let's say someone's listening to this conversation and they're interested in getting into beer, for example, they're passionate about beer. What sort of advice do you have? Like, you know, you started yeah, as, as a, a lobbyist on Capitol Hill for yeah. years. Right. And yeah. guess who was like, passionate about beer because it was something that helped you like preserve your sanity on like, <laughs> weekends. It's 100% uh, accurate. <laughs> and like, it just like, it, it sounds like it kind of like snowballed and evolved from like a passion project into something where you like just said, you know what, like, I'm going to take, I, I'm going to take a go at like making this a, a, a career, like something that I, that, that my life is about. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of advice would you have for somebody else who is, is kind of kicking the tires on that same idea? Um, you, you know, I, I was scared to give advice because I, you know, one person's path is always a little different than, you know, someone else's. And, but for me, it was like giving myself, uh, the time and space to, to, to play with beer and to just keep experimenting and just to learn, like to spend three hours on a Saturday, just to like read about beer. You know, like it, there's, there doesn't have to be immediate payoff to something like it's, it, I had to like for the longest time, I was always just, I had to be productive, do, you know, do it at whatever I was, if there was no payoff to me, like I shouldn't just like waste my time. Right. But wasting your time in areas that interest you, I think, um, is so helpful. Um, and allowing time for, for your, your interests like that allow, like kind of opens up opportunities. It's kind of amazing how things like that happen that just kind of like, you know, if you put it out there, you're so like you, you, you said like, there's no immediate payoff, but it's almost like productive escapism, right? Like, yeah. you know, it, it, it's like something that you enjoy doing that, you know, worst case scenario is something that is a nice Saturday afternoon in a coffee shop. Um, uh -huh. And best case scenario, it's laying groundwork for, um, you know, for turning that passion into an area yeah. of expertise. Right. But you know, for me, it was always hard to, to give myself that time. Like it was just a, I, I would have to justify it almost with myself, but, um, but it, you know, if someone's looking into to getting into a brewery, I think the only other thing I would say, or if they're you know, open a brewery is, it's like, it's not just about the beer. And I think that's a lot of times what a lot of brewers, home brewers um, think about when they're going to open a, a, a brewery. It's just, they, recipes. All, yeah. yeah, recipes, it's beer. They're all focused on beer, but um, it's completely not. I mean, it's, it's, you know, running a business, it's, it's you know, HR, it's payroll. It's, yeah, it's taxes. a yeah. 100. And that's just not what you're thinking about. And so I think you kind of have to be <laughs> honest to the reality of, of 
what the what what it's actually you know the 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 job is going to be but um but honestly some of those non-beer related things are also what make um you know owning a a brewery so awesome like you know employing awesome people and you know um watching them do you know what they what they want to do or what they're passionate about you know and um so for me that's it was kind of an eye opener. I'm like, I know it's going to be a lot of work and I'm going to do some non-beer related stuff. But it was like, wow, there's a lot of non-beer related stuff in running a brewery. Um, but so yeah, I, I guess that's, that would be my thing is just, uh, you know, give yourself time to, to really explore you, the stuff that you're interested in and then, um, and then be realistic about if you're going to take the jump, what else is coming with it? Right. For sure. Yeah. But I, I think that, um, you know, I, I really second that, that insight, which is that um, so much of the non-beer, or in my case, non-wine-related stuff, that you don't necessarily uh, understand or have appreciation for when you when you start a business in in you know sort of the uh, beverage world, mm-hmm. it can um, it can be some of the most fulfilling aspects, right? Like the idea that you have the opportunity to build community to provide opportunity to provide meaningful employment to to teach uh to help others uh or provide an opportunity for others to expand on uh subject matter that they are passionate about and that they look up to you for i mean like what a cool opportunity and um you know really an obligation to um you know to to take to take something like that really seriously and not only have uh precision in your recipes but also in the way that you run your business yeah i mean and that's that's the a reward that i never thought was going to be that would go along with with owning a brewery is like you know the, the other the personal relationships with you know people that you you wouldn't have known otherwise like it, the payoff the reward from is so much different than it was for me in my normal job. It's like, you know, like I would just sit at the desk, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it was every day just kind of started to seem like the same. And like, it just, the, you know, watching, you know, someone, let's say they have a great idea for a beer and we do it and, um, you know, and you, they get super excited about it. And, um, you know, like that's, that's fulfilling, right. To, to me, or, or like, you know, just having someone, like you said, a meaningful employment where someone is, is, you know, has a family because and they're, they're paying their bills because of, you know, something that you, you created is, is, is pretty, pretty amazing. I think. Yeah, for sure. So, um, we're, 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 we're kind of like talking a little bit about community now, which I think is really cool. Um, and at the beginning of the show, you alluded to the fact that you spent 13 years on Capitol Hill lobbying. Uh, and, uh, while, you know, I, I'm sure there were aspects of that, that were, uh, you know, uh, challenging. Um, I, 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 I would love to hear if there are aspects of that that you look back on fondly and if um, you're, you're sort of involved today in any way still with like any sort of, um, you know, social or political issues that are kind of like close to your heart or are you just all beer now? <laughs> no. um, well, I, I will tell you, I do, I do miss the downtime of the desk job. Yeah. Like there's just with the, with the brewery, there's just, there's always something to do. And it's always, you know, it's a lot of physical work, which I actually enjoy more than, than sitting at a desk, but man, like there'd be, you know, a couple hours where like, you know, I'll just look at plane tickets, you know, you know, something like that, that you just do at work for like two hours. It doesn't happen anymore. So I definitely miss that. But, um, you know, I, I kind of right when I, um, left, uh, so it was July of what, three years, three years ago now, almost three years exactly when I, when I decided to quit and I had a, a boss that's still a good friend that was super supportive. Um, uh, I, you know, I was just tuned out of politics almost completely for, for like a year. And I just, you know, I, for 13 years, every day I had to pay attention to, you know, everything that was going on because um, it, you never know when you might have an opportunity to, 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 to reach someone or if an issue might, um, overlap with something else. And so you're just always paying attention. So it was nice for me just to like completely unplug, um, from politics. Um, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I couldn't be out for too long. I'm, I still, it's kind of an addicting thing. And so of course I'm always reading, uh, now what's going on, but, um, 
things that I've uh, still kind of stayed stayed active with. Um, I've um, eaten plant based for about ten years, um, and so I've I've always kind of had a soft spot for for, for animals, and so like I, I still uh, you know pay attention to like, uh, and, and donate to like animal sanctuaries, which to me is just a cool thing. Um, like a cow that can just like live his life. This is like, seems so normal, but it, it's something that I think is kind of neat. Um, and you know, and I've, I've also like, it's a group called, see, I want to, I don't want to say it wrong. Um, uh, The Innocence Project finally, finally came to me. Um, it's it's a group, it's an org that just, uh, they help try to get people out of jail for for serious crimes that they didn't, they didn't commit. Um, and to me, like someone that has like been able to, to start a brewery and chase things that are interesting to me, it's like the thought of being like locked up for something I didn't do is just absolutely terrifying. Um, and so that's, that's a group that I, that I love uh, staying, staying active with and, and participating with but um i've i've kind of got completely outside of my the political uh or the financial services politics world that i was in i can i can do without that for a while uh, yeah i'm sure that was <laughs> exhausting 13 years yeah and happy to be you know <laughs> doing other yeah. things at this point absolutely cool um so what what do you do for fun uh you know I wish I had, I need to start doing more things for fun. Now that, <laughs> you need hobbies, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like every time you, you hire someone else, then you're like, yeah, I'm going to have more time. But then you just find out you're just doing other things more. Right. So, um, but I'm, I'm, I love being on the water. So anything I can do on the water, whether it's like skiing, boating, kayaking, I'm always, I'm in for it. Um, at home, I'm a, I'm a big fan of just uh, having a beer and um, playing acoustic guitar at home just to kind of chill out. I'm not I'm not any good, but that's not really that's not really the point. Yeah, you're yeah. not alone at home at this. Yeah, point, it's just so. it's it's fun for me. It's relaxing. Um, so a couple couple things. Cool. Um, so on the brutal podcast, so I, I guess a, a little backstory. Um, Brutal uh, is uh, a, a turn in, in the natural wine world that's really taking on a life of its own. I think originally uh, it, it, it's a Spanish term referring to wines specifically that are made with nothing other than grapes. So just like fermented grapes, right? Like no sulfites, no enzymes, no nothing. And, and uh, Brutal is like the process. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but but it's also a, a, a term that... Um, uh, you know, in the wine world, I, I think that it's kind of like almost calling like a, a something like sick. Um, it, you know, it, it, to, to, to our minds contextually, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, in yeah. fact, it might be a really good thing. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, uh, in the natural wine world, in Europe specifically, that's what brutal wines are. Um, however, brutal is a term uh, that I uh, that that my sisters and I always used growing up for. Uh, situations uh, that were like so awkward or uncomfortable, uh, <laughs> but either in that moment or later in reflection were really hilarious. Like yeah. if you like recount a story that was so bad that later it's hilarious. Uh, so I, I'm curious, uh, something that I want to do as part of the show is like ask guests if there is like a situation in their career or otherwise um, that like, was like you know a, a you know a, a big mess up or um, you know an, an otherwise awkward situation that like reflecting on or telling the story is actually <laughs> funny now. Uh, I got one story. I, I kind of like I kind of like telling it. It, it. it touches most of on what you were saying. It's not like I was a super embarrassing position for me or anything. But um, about ten years ago, I, I walked outside of my condo at the time and and my car was gone it was just like missing and so I, I i called i called the police and i was just like um you know i think someone stole my car and they're like all right you know if we find it we'll call you and so i i had to take the bus to dc for like two weeks which from i live in laurel and so like that was brutal it was like a two two and two and a half hour commute um and when i was on the bus and i was you're like telling everyone at the office that you're yeah just and one day I'm on the, I'm on the bus and I like, I look out the window. I'm like, I think that was my car. Like, 
I think I just saw my car, right? And so I call, I call the police. I'm like, I think I saw my car. You know, it was like a block away, and there's a lot of them. But I, you know, what? And they're like, well, we'll send a, we'll send a, a patrolman over there, and we'll, you know, if it's your car, we'll let you know. And I never heard from them. So then I started car shopping like a week later. But I was like, before I go buy a car, like, I have to just know for myself, like, if that was it. And so I, it was like four miles away, and I like to run on the weekends, anyways. And so I ran over there, and it was my car. And they're like, it was unlocked and like the steering, like the whole, the ignition was ripped out. And like, I asked the guy like that was there. I'm like, uh, do you know, like, is this, did, is this yours or, and he didn't say anything. So I just like got in there and like stole my car back. <laughs> and, like, so I had to like stick a screwdriver in it to start it for like two weeks. Um, so your car was stolen. It was stolen. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then I call, and then like a week later I got pulled over and they're like, sir, you're driving a stolen car. I'm like, I know it was stolen, man. I, t- I told you guys about this, but <laughs> wow, that's just kind of a goofy story. I like, like to tell. That's amazing that you got pulled over later for driving a stolen vehicle. Yeah, that was my own. <laughs> the, the cops like call you, Hey, we found your car and like your phone is ringing in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how, how exactly they, they handle stuff, but that was, that was weird. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, uh, anyone listening to the podcast, how can they, um, uh, how, how can they connect with you? How can they buy beer? How can they learn about your book? Uh, the, the book is it's just on uh, Amazon, uh, the new IPA. If you just Google it, um, uh, in terms of the beer right now, everything that we're selling is, is pretty much to go stuff. We have an online on Sapwood, uh, sapwoodsellers.com. You can buy, uh, there's a little storefront on there where you, you buy everything online and then you just can come pick it up. Um, if you don't, if you're not comfortable with sitting inside yet, it's just, um, kind of a easier service that way. No money is being exchanged. It's all kind of just done, you know, on the computer or phone. Um, other than that, you know, we're just still, we're putting out like one can, can release a month and probably one or two, um, bottle releases now, um, for the foreseeable future a month. So it's, it's fun that we're finally hitting a, a stride a little bit when it comes to, to releases. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Scott. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your time. This has been, uh, a lot of fun, really, uh, really, really great to connect with you and otherwise just to kind of uh, see a, a, a friendly face and have a conversation. Um, it feels like it's been months since <laughs> no, man. <laughs> reality. So uh, this is welcome for me. I hope you had a good time. Um, and uh, anybody listening, thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing via iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite uh, uh, app is. And uh, I will be releasing new episodes every Monday. Um, So yeah, that's it. That's the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Scott. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me again. This is great. All right. Have a good night. Take care.